signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Back at you with another uh, book club episode <laughs> of the greatest discovery. This time it's a comic book. Yeah. Comic book uh, done by our friend Felipe. Well, he uh, he did the colors, right? Our friend Felipe yeah. Sobrero, who... Um, I don't know if we'll have our acts together, but we're getting ready to launch some new merch. And uh, he did the design for a couple of things that will be available to the Friends of DeSoto soon. But uh, if you've ever seen our game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker uh, that we use to randomize uh, episodes on The Greatest Generation, uh, he did all the all the little uh, character design on that. And... Uh, He's like a super talented comics artist, and uh, he he told us when he sent this to us that uh, if he'd done if he'd done the inking, if he'd like actually designed the book, uh, we would for sure have been blown out of an airlock. That's so sweet of him to say. I know, I know. <laughs> he does such great work. Like, you got to go to his website because it's full of really fun, interesting. Uh, combinations of of things that I think friends of DeSoto would really like. He sent me that uh, that Stallone mask that I'm yeah. not allowed to wear. <laughs> uh, he's, he just does a great job. So I'm, we're both big, big fans of his work. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, he also did the uh, he did the the Captain DeSoto illustration that was on the challenge coin that we took out on tour yeah. as a as a tour merch that. item a couple of years ago. I've had one on my desk forever. Yeah. I'm going to show the viewers <laughs> the best boss I ever had coin. Yeah. Hey, uh, we might have a bunch of these coins left over to uh, to put up to that store you were referring to. So yeah, we need to get be on the uh, lookout for that. Get our get our heads around what what inventory we have because a lot of it is like sitting in boxes in our closets right now, and that's no good. That does not nobody any good. Look out for that. We're uh, we're professionalizing in a number of ways, and the store is a big, big part of that effort for us. So I uh, know that that is on the way. Yeah. How you doing today, buddy? Uh, I I wasn't sure if I was going to talk much about this on the show, but now that I've started describing it that way, I guess I can. Uh, Sprocket's sick, man, and he's been sick for a long time. And yeah. uh, we were at the vet again today and uh, like just to keep it very brief because I don't know, I don't know if I can talk about it uh, without soon not being able to talk about it. But yeah, uh, back in September, we got some really bad and surprising news about him. Every day since then has been uh, both the best and the worst day. We've been really fortunate to have some great vets involved, and we are doing everything we can to uh, bullet point number one, keep him comfortable and happy, and bullet point number two, uh, try to do what we can to mitigate uh, the damage. 
I only mention it because we just had a vet appointment this morning, and so it's yeah. like extre- it's more front of mind than it usually is, and it is usually uh, on my mind. It's been tough, man, because like you, like you've had a few times where we had something scheduled work-wise or whatever, and and it all has to be set aside when when your pup is sick, and yeah, I just I I know how worried you've been, and I, it's it's hard to do that. Uh, that worrying and then like change gears really fast and like hop on mics and joke around for an hour. I've been really feeling for you because I know that that's a tough thing to do. But I also know that sometimes it's really nice to have an excuse to escape from those bad feelings and uh, and enjoy yourself for a little while. You're really right, man. Uh, I know there have been a number of things that both you and I have gone through that that aren't public, like kind of a lot of personal shit has happened in our lives over the last six months to a year. And yeah, you are spot on with how difficult it is to switch the mental gears into having fun with my friend, but you're spot honor <laughs> when you say how necessary it is, you know, like I yeah. can't, I can't live with the dread and the grief of all of these things every hour of every day. Like the shows that we do mean a lot to me because they're an opportunity to get myself out of that mental rut, to have some some really necessary laughs. And yeah. I always feel better after doing a show. So I'm really I'm really grateful that we have it and that it's a regular thing that me uh, too, man. That's useful. I think that we have both gone through the thing of feeling like, oh God, I don't know if I can get it up to record today. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in like the last three months, like I think we've both had days like that where we came pretty reluctantly to the mic. And the thing that I value so much about our friendship is that that falls away the instant we start talking and right. we can really like find our way to making each other laugh pretty quickly, pretty reliably. Yeah, it it really helps. Like we're we're really we're really down in it at this point. Yeah. And uh and it's super tough, but uh the show remains a a reliable help in a lot of ways and I'm I'm glad we've got it. And I'm you know, we we hear from a lot of people how how it benefits them in similar ways. So it's it's kind of amazing to do a thing that has that kind of value to not just ourselves like yeah it's not all about us it's mostly about us <laughs> mostly about make us. this show but uh but i'm glad it it does some greater good too yeah well uh do you want to get into this comic book we came to read read today buddy yeah let's turn the the page to uh to something else <laughs> as we as we continue our our comic book series on the greatest discovery this four-issue series came out in 2020, but you and I uh, were gifted the anthology. Yeah. Issues one through four in a in a paperback. It's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's called Murder on the Edge, Too Long a Sacrifice. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. The writers are familiar to uh, to anyone who have enjoyed the Mirror Universe series of IDW comics. Uh, the Tiptons, Scott and David, uh, were involved with the uh, the concept and the writing of this series. So 
familiar players yeah in the world of these comics indeed so we open on a crowded deep space nine promenade Bashir is uh kind of glowering looking around uh and he he bumps into garrick they've got a, a lunch date and uh they go into a bajoran restaurant uh what's this lady's name lavin that's the thing about comics, man. Yeah. We need Petkoff to read this comic to us. <laughs> well, I think in Star Trek, the, the convention is that whoever says the first the, the name first gets to decide on how it's pronounced. So, Well, we know that's not true from Star Trek Voyager, because if, if it were, uh, he'd be known as Chocote. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I like Lavin. I, I, I'm prepared to go with that. Um, she is the uh, proprietress. She kind of like busts Garrick's chops for not coming around that often. I guess he and Bashir mostly hang in the replement, but they're uh, they're classing it up today, eating in a, a nicer uh, re- uh, type of restaurant. And um, Lavin's got a rep as kind of a ball buster. <laughs> you can tell right away. Yeah. She's kind of she's your kind of lady, I think. Oh, you think so? She's she's an Ensign Row type uh, restaurateur. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They uh, so Bashir and Garrick sit down to this meal, and uh, they talk but don't talk about how the war is going. They're kind of sniffing each other's asses for information, but neither of them is willing to spill any of those ass beans. <laughs> It, yeah, I kind of found myself wondering precisely where in the in the Deep Space Nine timeline this story is meant to take place, and um, it's it's a little hard to tell initially. Uh, but but we do get some clues kind of peppered in along the way, and one of them being the uniforms they're wearing are the post uh, first contact uniforms, and another being that the Dominion War is on. So this is pretty late mm-hmm. in the series. Um, and Garrick and Bashir are kind of dancing around the the topic of uh, is the war going as well for the Federation as is generally known or much worse, would you say? Right. <laughs> and, you know, when you when there's like that war elephant in the room that you can't really discuss, it doesn't leave much else for them to talk about. Like the Garrick-Bashir relationship, we've been dosed a bunch of it throughout the series of Deep Space Nine. But when I really stop to think about all of those scenes and think about what they were really talking about, I mean, I would say it was fairly superficial Yeah. in terms of their relationship, you know? There's always a supercharged subje- subtext when Garrick and Bashir are that's, talking, no matter what they're talking it. about. They could talk about nothing and, uh, and charge it up like that. It's about nothing. Right. But is subtext a a strong foundation for a friendship or a relationship? This is the question. Yeah. I guess it's strong enough to uh, to split a check at Lavin's. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't have much time for subtext because uh, pretty quickly there is like a beep coming from under a nearby table and Garrick seems to notice this. Where is that noise? It's traveling on my spine. It's my brain. He acts quickly. He seems to kind of like throw himself and Bashir out the window and into the promenade as a high explosive device goes off in Lavin's eatery. 
And, this is why uh, I don't like those little pagers that restaurants give you to tell you when your table's ready. Because <laughs> when it goes off, it's so loud and shocking. And you yeah, think that, you know what the vibration's going to feel like. It's so much stronger when it goes off than you think it will be. These are people that clearly did some some product design testing with my wife. And they knew that something that vibrates <laughs> as much as a phone inside her purse is not going to get her attention. Right. So, so they had to go with a level of vibration that was like pretty significantly more violent than that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but they what they went with was C four, <laughs> and, and I think that was like a little bit of an overshot. Yeah. Here's the thing about the panel of the explosion, though, that I want to call attention to because. I'm sure there's like real comic book terminology that a person can use. I'm not going to use it because I'm an idiot. But like the top part, so it's a two-page spread here when the explosion goes off. And the top half spans across both pages. Really cool, like territorial shot yeah. of the explosion. And the colors are really interesting. But on the bottom, there's a three-cell triptych of the scene where Garrick quote-unquote saves Bashir and the middle frame is obscured by by the page, by the page yeah. cut in a really unfortunate way because I couldn't tell if Garrick was saving Bashir in this scene because of, of where the page cut through. It looked like maybe they were they were they were thrown free from the blast instead of Garrick doing a thing that actually uh, saved Bashir here. It's, I thought that was too bad. It's too bad. I think that part of that is because that this is the the bound all four issues book. And if, if you had right. a comic book, it would lay a little bit flatter. Or if you had the digital version on like Comixology or whatever, you, you probably would see this clean. But yeah, bet, that, yeah, that fold happens in an unfortunate place. And also the last frame of that little triptych looks like dead Superman, you know, like Bashir is lying with blood coming thing. out of his mouth. And I was like, fuck, they killed Bashir at the beginning of this comic. Holy shit. <laughs> I thought dead Superman too. It's, it's crazy how iconic that image was from like, yeah. what was it like 30 years ago? <laughs> the death of Superman comic. Like, Not quite 30 years ago, maybe 25, but yeah, that was a, God, yeah. that was a big deal. I want to be diplomatic about this. There are a lot of different versions of Bashir I think we get in this series. Mm -hmm. I think I think there's something about his face that must present a challenge artistically because sometimes he looks like Albert Brooks like in that very first <laughs> cell and and later on he looks like uh Russell Crowe. <laughs> like I wonder if this is true or not. I wonder if aliens are easier to draw than humans because of all all the loaf. Like I think the loaf gets you out of art jail a little bit because the details help. Yeah. It help it helps with identification. And and while Alexander Siddig is a super good looking guy, it seems like the qualities that make him good looking must also make him difficult to draw. I think Odo is is really well captured in this book. Mm -hmm. And all of the other characters, like there are some cells where it's just like, God, that is like a perfect O'Brien or yeah, a yeah, yeah. perfect Dax. But, uh, but yeah, there are also moments where I was like, is that potato Jesus? Oh no, it's Dax. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so Odo is kind of the main character of these, uh, these first two books that we read and, um, he is, uh, running the investigation and we get kind of like investigators notes uh, from time to time 
on on the page, uh, but he is. It's kind of the CSI Deep Space Nine, where he's standing in the wreckage of this explosion with Jadzia Dax and Miles O'Brien, and they are talking about like the nature of the explosion. How did Bashir and Garrick survive this? Do we have any like suspects that leap to mind? Uh, do we know what kind of explosive it was? Like, why, Like, how did somebody get a high explosive device on board the station and into a restaurant? A lot of, uh, a lot of problems here. And it doesn't look like... One thing I feel like they don't address at all uh, so far in these first two comic books is like, this is kind of a major fuck up of Odo's, you know? This is a, this is a bit of a my pet goat situation. <laughs> I like to do a lot of outreach work. In uh, in Keiko O'Brien's classroom, <laughs> the kids really like it when I do the voices and the actual animals <laughs> of the books that I read to them. Of course, some of my deputies have suggested that Cork determined to strike inside competitor restaurant, but I did not <laughs> deem that to be a credible threat at the time. <laughs> yeah. I love the the wide shot, like the cells that are the wide shot of the damage. Yeah, they're very much evocative of nine eleven. I thought the the like kind of angular wreckage leaning in, and also evocative of the mirror universe. Like I I, I definitely thought about mirror universe Terak Nor a lot, uh, just with the the color scheme. I mean, it's like very film noir style of uh, of drawing and color. So the the that Terak North stuff is like for sure evoked by that whenever you see it. That comparison to a CSI or a law and order that you made is really apt because the way that the story unfolds unfolds in a very CSI slash law and order kind of way. This is Star Trek as a place on law and order because we get that, that boots on the ground scene of the investigation and Odo's delegating and investigating and later on like we get the autopsy scene with Bashir to come but like those are like foundational scenes yeah. in every crime show that you get the captain and Odo uh, interview Lavin who also survived the blast and she is she is real messed up she is still on the scene it doesn't seem like this happens in the infirmary or anything because she's like crouched in the rubble, but she's got like a piece of gauze that she's pressing against her forehead and there's like flecks of blood all over her. And she's got some survivor's guilt. Like she's thinking about the fact that like if the blast had gone off seconds earlier, she would have been out in the in the dining room and would have taken her out. And she is convinced she has she has a she has a suspect. She thinks that there's only one person that uh, could could have destroyed her her life and livelihood in the way uh that this has gone down and uh the the frame where she says it was quark is probably my favorite frame in the comic so far <laughs> so fucking mad i feel the same way i know this is a this is a consequence of how much curb your enthusiasm i've been watching lately but uh, Lavin has got Susie Green vibes big time and mostly because she's screaming about Quark in a way that I so appreciate 
Susie screaming about Larry. (laughs) That fat foreheaded fuck! (laughs) Clark, get the fuck out of here! (laughs) Go gamble with your idiot friends and play tango, you piece of shit! Lavin really got up in that ass. <laughs> she got in that ass in a way that you know she was there. Uh, yeah, that's Cell. I mean, that is a that is a big time mood mm-hmm. when Lavin goes off on Quark. And really, like, it seems like one of the more difficult expressions to pull off if you're drawing a person. Yeah. Uh, it's really visceral. We catch up with Bashir doing autopsies and whatnot in the infirmary <laughs> why why is your y incision down toward the waist <laughs> i thought you i thought it usually started up up here why is it why is it not shaped like a y but like a p i've never seen a dead person with a catheter installed <laughs> is that like a pump siphon what are you what are you trying to determine about the cause of death here <laughs> Well, I can confirm beyond the shadow of a doubt that uh, a urinary tract infection was not the cause of death here. Unfortunately, the uh, the explosive had these um, had these rodinium darts packed around it. Like they, whoever built it, like made sure it had a lot of shrapnel. And rodinium yeah. darts are apparently a a controlled substance, something that. Uh, they would have detected under normal circumstances if somebody was trying to bring it aboard a station. It seems like a method of destruction that's meant to send a message, right? Because right. like with a claymore mine or or like a a pipe bomb or something, like you're stuffing those things with ball bearings or thumbtacks or something. Yeah. But this dart is like it takes a lot of work to produce and it looks specialized in a way that that like it's not supposed to anonymize itself. There's something about this that makes it special. Yeah, and they look mean, you know. They're they're like yeah. pointy and they they're kind of like kind of evocative of shuriken, like in the way that mm-hmm. they just look like they would like tear you the fuck up if if one hit you at any kind of speed. Right. Yeah, you're not just afraid at the time of the explosion, but in that split second of a bunch of shurikens coming at your face. <laughs> So we have a McLaughlin group issue one in Cisco's office with Kira and Dax and Odo and the captain, and they're talking about how how goes the investigation, what the what the suspicions are, and they still you know don't really know how these things got on board. Um, O'Brien is looking back through sensor logs and stuff. Um, Odo is canvassing witnesses, trying to get to the bottom of this. Nobody really buys that it's Quark. Like nobody is like, yeah, Quark. Uh, Quark would definitely put a bomb in a competitor's restaurant to put them out of business. That just doesn't seem to hold water for these guys. So, yeah, Quark uh, is a is a shithead and a nuisance, but he's no murderer. Yeah, <laughs> the scenes in this comic are so dark by choice. That it's really nice to get some cells broken up with just white background when mm-hmm. you get them. Yeah. I like it. I do too, yeah. It's a nice turning point in the scene because Cisco kind of yeah. is collecting the information at the beginning of the scene and then takes the takes the floor and explains why the pressure is on. Like, this is a diplomatic incident in a big way. Like, lots of different types of aliens were killed in the blast, and so there are diplomats 
representing all of those worlds, putting pressure on him. And they are also dealing with the fact that they're at war. And this is like destabilizing the kind of civil society of the station. And if they have an issue like that going on while they're trying to prosecute the Dominion War, it makes it much, much harder. This is what made Avery Brooks's performance on DS9 so compelling. Like the way the way you really felt the weight of all of these competing pressures on him. It yeah. wasn't just the challenge of of fighting a war. It was all that it entailed from from not just the stakeholders, but like people in the periphery just trying to to make a life for themselves. Yeah. And I like reading a comic about characters who I've seen performed before because I really feel like I can imagine how these lines would be delivered. I think that yeah. this is really well written from a standpoint of Cisco really sounds like Cisco and O'Brien really sounds like O'Brien to me. Yeah. Worf really barges his way into this story yeah. in a way <laughs> because Worf and Odo Worf and Odo have an interaction that goes from everything okay to we need to talk in like a half a second. <laughs> it gets so intense. Yeah. It's uh it's it's Worf kind of inviting himself to go along for the ride with Odo on the investigation. And um that's very reminiscent of the early seasons when Worf was introduced to the show and there was kind of a kind of a conflict between the two characters of just like who is the sec- the security guy on this yeah. show and Odo won out leaving the you know the job of tactics to Worf but not of security and uh Worf is pretty convinced that they should just um you know knock it off with the investigations and start uh, and and start acting as if the first person accused was probably the person who did it. And that is a sentiment that is echoed by a couple of Nausicans who walk in and say, we think Quark did it also. Anyone up for Dom Jot? <laughs> it's a scene that reminds me, not all Nausicans, Ben, because I feel like the Nausicans that we've known up until now have been like mono, sabalic, <laughs> kind of, kind of thick dolts. Yeah. But these Nausicans talk like theater actors doing a monologue at Summerstock. Like <laughs> they they are they are like flowery with their language almost. I mean they're also growling and screaming. Yeah. But like but sometimes they're they're talking in a very unfamiliar way. Yeah. They lost a couple of buddies. Uh was it brothers of theirs? Yeah. Yeah, these are their uh, two brothers died. Two of their brothers died in the blast. These yeah. are the two that uh, that Garrick ran past in order to Cardassian shield Dr. Bashir. Very understandable that they would be this upset. Um, they grow in anger to the extent that Odo needs to tell them to talk to the hand. <laughs> yeah. He, by, uh, by unfolding a giant hand to separate them from the rest of the group. Yeah, and then he turns it into like a giant chicken drumstick and like whacks them with it. Yeah. <laughs> that thing looked like something I would buy at the Popeyes down the street from my house, man. Odo does a lot of Odo tricks in the comic books that, that he can't, that there's no budget for on the show. Yeah. 
It's good stuff. But they uh, they smash one of his computers and barge out. And uh, I guess that was enough for Odo to go ahead and do exactly what they wanted because the the last page of this first uh, comic is him pulling Quark into his office and uh, pretty much uh, laying the accusation on him. Yeah, it's a, it's a Quark cliffhanger into issue two. Because these rhodinium darts were found in uh, in a shipment that was headed to Quark. So yeah. it's it's a pretty. I mean, it's circumstantial, but it's pretty damning that he would have a second shipment of uh, of shrapnel coming in. Odo's going about this all wrong. Guilt isn't established by the recipient's address; it's by the sender. Mm. Come on. Spoken like somebody who does a lot of shopping on the dark web. <laughs> All right, well, we're on to issue two in the series, and not in a McLaughlin group kind of way. Uh, we pick up right where we left off. Quark is defending his innocence uh, up until the moment that Odo is, is called away by Dr. Bashir. There's another body that's been found on the station. And uh, he's a Bajoran health commissioner called Caden. So yeah. he was definitely born in the 2000s. <laughs> he was stabbed lots. He was stabbed. His friends Aiden, Jaden, and yeah. Kalen all got away, fortunately. Right. <laughs> the suggestion is made that he kind of died instantly, but it sounds a lot like one of those jail yard shankings where he's just right. punched full of holes. And um, the next... Uh, the next person they they go talk to is plain simple Garrick in the tailor shop. They start talking to him about the fact that he seems to have a connection to both crimes because Caden had just picked up some new duds at Garrick's uh, right before getting murdered. Garrick is suspicious in this scene because he keeps asking about the condition of the garments. Like he wasn't stabbed. While wearing them, was he? Do you think? <laughs> do you think there's resale value in in the garment if it was just hung up in his closet and not worn during the murder? Do you did, think? Did any blood get th- in the shopping bag? Because right. that's kind of uh, the first thing my mind goes to. <laughs> right. Doesn't look good for Garrick. Kind of a kind of competing feelings about Garrick as both being the the shield for Bashir and also the last guy that Caden saw before he died. He has some, like, straight out of a film noir lines here when he says this station has more tales to tell than even you know, and even a longer memory. Right. <laughs> Cardassian Fatal. More progress is being made on uh, what type of explosion it was. O'Brien casts a little doubt on Garrick being a reasonable suspect just given the fact that he was nearly killed in the first explosion and um kira comes up to odo and says like hey there's a a vedic a a vedic teller and he wants to speak to you and he's like i don't want to speak to a vedic right now and she's like no no i said vedic teller you realize how rare it is for teller to be the one that's doing the talking uh He's just going to bend my ear about his idiotic libertarian politics. I understand that he's a very talented illusionist, 
and performer, but the fucking politics are a fucking snooze. I feel like it's a very enjoyable show if you just set that off to the side (laughs) and allow yourself to enjoy their skill at magic. Unfortunately, they just find ways to work it in at all times. They are true believers. I mean, Medic Teller is on the board of Reason Magazine. What the hell? But at the same time, some of their tricks are really amazing as illusions. Makes you wonder how they even do that stuff. (laughs) I mean, I can do some pretty neat tricks myself, but that guy could catch a bullet in his teeth. How does he do it? I don't know. Were you clear on when in Deep Space Nine's timeline this comic was happening in relation to Odo and Kira's relationship? Because... I couldn't remember. I couldn't either, and it seems like if they are in the middle of their romance, they're keeping it strictly professional in this scene. Yeah. To the extent where I was like, Kira, the guy's fucking busy right now, like a little too busy to deal with Vedic shit at the moment, like maybe later. Yeah, slow your roll a bit. Worf and Odo's investigation continues in Caden's apartment uh, and the bickering continues up until the moment that a full-on like montage of crime fighting happens (laughs) like scene after scene of like busts on the station featuring them and this is like this would have made up for a fun sidecar series to the show yeah like Worf and Odo fighting crime clean up the streets of Deep Space Nine yeah just just like low-level misdemeanor shit (laughs) and uh it ends with them uh pinning a lot of uh, a lot of the crime on the station to those Nausicans. One of them pulls out a giant yeah. knife and tries to stab Odo and uh, that's a pretty funny a pretty funny way to go out. Get your wrist caught in, in the gold. Yeah, I mean anytime a Nausicaan brandishes a knife it makes me want to just like cover <laughs> the middle of my chest and the middle of my back. Yeah, this would have been a very triggering scene for Picard to read because it's like he... <laughs> Odo gets stabbed in like exactly the same spot, but walks away from it. Yeah, no shit. No mechanical heart for Odo. Pretty great moment. They've cleaned up the streets. They've they've solved a lot of the petty crime on the station, but it hasn't gotten them any any closer to who blew up the coffee shop and who killed Caden. So uh, Odo uh, takes a little break and does Kira this favor and goes and meets with Medic Teller. And his secretary that looks exactly like Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And the secretary, like, he does not, like, take leave once he's brought Odo into the Vedic's office, right? He like I thought that was weird, too. What an assumption. He does a lot of the talking himself. Like, he's he's the one that says, um, like, 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 the Vedic wants to tell Odo about how Caden actually was a collaborator during the Cardassian occupation. But it's... It's the uh, assistant guy that actually drops that bomb. I was surprised by that, too. This guy either doesn't know his place or really knows his place in in Bajoran workplace society. Maybe that's just how it goes for them. Like, I don't think that the Vedic ever makes an accusation that he would then have to defend later. His assistant kind of does all of the... uh, all the finger pointing in the conversation and the Vedic is just like, I've brought you here to tell you something important and salacious. 
Right. You know? And what he tells him is that uh, Caden was a collaborator in a dirtbag that is hated by all Bajorans. Surprised Kira didn't tell you this. Yeah. Because even Kira knows later on. <laughs> it does. But we're too busy with Kira right now to unpack that because she is paying a visit to a a Ferengi trade delegation who are partying in a wardroom somewhere and um, they're like not answering the doorbell because they're they're drinking too hard. She finally like has to like get somebody to override the, the security lockouts to let her in. And when she comes in, they all start foaming at the mouth and keel over and die. Not enough is made about the trauma of what this must have been like for Kira. <laughs> like she is up close and in these people's faces and eight of them just just die of poison right in front of her. And all like instantaneously at the same time. Like there yeah. isn't one of them that like looks at his drink and pours it out, you know. There's the guilt that someone feels, you know, witnessing a terrible event that like part of part of what magnifies that kind of guilt is is whether or not it's incidental like whether or not it's causation or correlation and the timing is what's got to make kira feel even worse like low key she's got to feel like on some level she might have triggered this yeah maybe maybe there was something to do with overriding the lockout or something right. <laughs> maybe it was like a a jigsaw situation like Maybe maybe they didn't hear her because they would have told her that by opening the door it would have triggered the poison that ended up killing them. So Bashir comes in and is able to uh, take a bladder sample and he uh, tells Kira, "Mm, definitely a nerve toxin. (laughs) So this is another thing that like shouldn't have been able to be brought aboard the station that that is there's something really fucked up going on. Like, yeah, somebody is getting all kinds of contraband on board. The station. I guess this kind of goes to uh, exonerate Quark, though, right? Because Quark has been in prison this whole time and probably wouldn't be the dude that the mercs eight members of the Ferengi trade delegation. Has he been in prison the whole time? Uh, they don't really cut back to him. I they? I had the impression that he was in in the detention facility when they left him. It's a fucking perfect alibi. Yeah, that's the kind of alibi you want. Yeah. That's one of the great times to be in prison. <laughs> totally. So this is all happening concurrently with a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Between a bunch of Federation muckety mucks who are talking about uh, how bad the war is going, how they need to resupply the Fifth Fleet, or it'll be, you know, it'll be destroyed by the Dominion and they need like hundreds and hundreds of quantum torpedoes in order to do that but they just don't have them they're running out of torpedoes and they uh they have far fewer than is generally known (laughs) yeah and uh dax comes in the room and like you know gives the captain the little head nod like hey can i speak to you privately 
because like the last the last thing that happens before Dax comes in is like, well, the, it's a good thing the Ferengi are here because they will sure sell us the shit out of some some torpedoes, and uh, and now they get the bad news that the Ferengis they dead. I think it's weird that the Federation and its war allies would buy arms from the Ferengi no matter how desperate. Like, where is the military-industrial complex at work that pumps these things out? Yeah. It doesn't seem like an, an entity as vast and as uh, as wealthy, quote-unquote, you know, and I mean wealth in a number of ways, as, as the Federation would have a hard time with the manufacture and distribution of quantum torpedoes, you know? Especially at the hundreds, which, what they're, which is what they're talking about. I would... I would expect that they would have a big problem making 5,000 of them. Right. But a couple hundred seems doable, especially because we know the station itself has hundreds of torpedoes in its banks, right? Maybe they're manufactured by the chaotic bros hmm? and their planet. We you know, we hear about the Benzite president in, ex- in exile because uh, the chaotic bro planet got taken over by the Dominion at one point. And we know that the the benzites are blue. Maybe that, and we know that the quantum torpedo is blue specifically. Right. So there that, you go. They, they put their little stamp on that. And plus, <laughs> when you fire a quantum torpedo, it, it's got the little like uh, mustache heater on the front. <laughs> Speaking of planets that have been occupied by the Dominion, they get word from Federation High Command that this like crime wave is something that needs to get solved. And so the Federation is going to, quote, throw some resources at it. And what that means is that they're sending an investigator to work with Odo on solving the problem. His name is Retlaw. He's from Federation Security, which is described as being a civilian police and investigative force separate from Starfleet. He really takes over the scene when he arrives. He... He saunters into frame with Betazoid Brian Dennehy Gravitas, and then he proceeds to do Beta Z party tricks on everyone there as an icebreaker. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. The uh, the outstretched hands of, uh, oh, no, I don't know. What the fuck is going on with you? You're a blank to me, is the throw to... <laughs> To like like the chagrined look on Odo's face is the last frame in, in book two of <laughs> this four book series. I'm just a big fan of magic in general, and uh, this guy this guy has none of the unsavory real life qualities that many of my favorite musicians have. <laughs> hey, look in the back of this book here, there are a bunch of uh, of uh, covers for issues that were done by our buddy J.K. Woodward. No way. Yeah. Oh, this is great. We've got a lot of talented friends. We sure do. We're some we're some lucky podcasters, you and me. We're the least talented friends in this friend group. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, that's uh, the end of uh, the end of books 1 and 2 and uh, our next uh, episode of Greatest Discovery will be finishing up with the Murder on the Edge, Too Long a Sacrifice. So I guess I don't need to ask you if you would, if you liked these issues, do I? Or I guess I do. I mean, we we would ask that at the of course. in a two part 
episode arc, I guess we would ask that question. It's a hard question to answer for a couple of reasons. One, because we have not finished the story, but two, like I'm predisposed to liking the new thing. Yeah. And I and I like I like reading comics again with you. So I enjoyed the experience very much. I did too. I um I think that there's like a couple of things that like I don't love about this. Like there's there's one moment in the uh in the crime fighting montage where they show up at like an illegal card game and Odo has a gun. And that that feels like a pretty big mistake to me. Like Odo's whole right. thing is he never has a gun. And I sort of I'm the kind of fan that has a hard time turning off the thing in his head that's going like, if this is a story that happened during the Dominion War, why didn't we see television about it? Why was no reference made to the crime wave or the terrorist acts that gripped the station for a period? And I know that that's like, you know, like that kind of like ruins the fun of this to some extent. And I, uh, I try to fight that impulse in my head, but it, it does, you know, pop into my mind as I read this book, but overall I, I did really like it. And I love, uh, the Star Trek as a place. And as it feels really like the tone of it is so fun. And yeah, I like a, uh, an Odo centric, uh, arc. So, uh, I'm really excited to read books three and four. Yeah. Really well done. And uh, uh, gotta say the the color in this book is one of my favorite parts. Like I know that uh, I'm biased here because our buddy Felipe it did the color and sent these books to us. But um, as I like the the look and feel of of these scenes is so good, and there's some really like some really like clever color choices that I think really show like what a, a close eye he has when he watches Deep Space Nine, like. The, the way they gelled the lights and the way, right. you know, foreground and back, you know, often there are like really bright lights in the backgrounds of scenes and the foreground is like uh, more subdued on Deep Space Nine and all of that stuff is so beautifully captured in, in the way these pages are colored. So, um, yeah, if you're going for that film noir vibe, this this book really does it totally. in spades. I feel like IDW has always done a great job with with those qualities, like like the look and feel aspects of a comic, I think they really have down. I wonder if we're getting a higher quality paper page on the graphic novel than we would on the comic book. I'm trying to remember, like all the IDW stuff has been really good in that way, but yeah, like this paper's a little thicker and a little glossier than I'm used to in a in an off the rack comic. Totally. The quality may or may not be a little bit better because it's a packaged graphic novel yeah. than uh, than the the per issue comic, but we've been pretty happy with the issue by issue comics we've gotten up to now, so yeah, good stuff. Well, you want to see if we have any priority one messages in the greatest discovery inbox? I'm gonna head over there and uh, and feel the thickness of the paper on those. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, we've got a priority one message here from Ryan from Sacktown. Hey. And it is to Ben and Adam. Message goes like this. Howdy, guys. Just enjoying the podcast as winter ends and summer starts. Doing a rewatch of GG right now, so I thought I'd send you some podcast fluid money. (laughs) Quick question. Either of you have a favorite whiskey to recommend? 
This is hole number two in the priority one punch card. I guess two equals Klingon, question mark? <laughs> I mean, Klingons punch two holes with each with each P1, right? Yeah, well put, Ryan, from Sacktown. It's called redundancy. I see what you're doing there. Um, man, I am just not enough of a whiskey drinker to confidently recommend one. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out of this because I just don't feel like I, uh, I I drink enough whiskey to 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 play a favorite. I've got a wreck here that may or may not be available in Sacktown. I imagine it probably would be. Um, when my wife and I went to Nashville a couple of years ago, we toured a distillery by the name of Nelson's Green Briar. Wow. And. Uh, and the tour was really cool. It's a distillery with a lot of history. And fortunately, it is a place that makes a really delicious whiskey and bourbon. Wow. Uh, I've been able to find bottles of it in LA. So uh, maybe Ryan in Sacktown will be able to find them up where they are. But uh, that would be that'd be my wreck. Yeah. I mean, chances are pretty good that the distribution is statewide, right? It is not an especially cost prohibitive bottle either, I would say. Like, uh, this isn't at a price point that makes it only a special occasion, whiskey or bourbon. This is like a. This is a decent price for an extremely high quality whiskey that you can enjoy. Yeah. That you can enjoy night in and night out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess if I had a whiskey to recommend, it would be. Tequila. <laughs> that is that is my favorite whiskey. <laughs> well, if you'd like to uh, supplement our podcast fluid budget, head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a promotional message. And uh, we got a lot of availability over here on the greatest discovery. So uh, place your bets. Yeah, ask us a question. We'll really luxuriate in the priority one message time if, uh, <laughs> if you slide something in there that's interesting. So do it. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner 
in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. More. 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 Sweet. More. More. Hammer time. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? This is a bit selfish, but I'm actually going to give it to myself uh, for this uh, issue because I did something very dumb in reading this comic book. I I turned a page and I didn't realize I turned two pages and I was like really confused for a while. Um I, I read the first page where Bashir like shows up on the promenade, bumps into Garrick. They say like, are you hungry? And then turned to Garrick, like noticing an explosion happening. And I was like, what the hell? This just opens with a, a totally unset up explosion. We're just blindsided by it. And then I get to the next page and they're like talking about how they were eating in a restaurant. I was like, God, this... I don't know if I like this comic. Like, I feel like we needed like at least a scene in the restaurant to like establish what that was, why they were doing it. Were they close to the explosion far away? I got pretty far into the book where I was like, I'm going to go back and see if I missed something. And I like felt the pages kind of like, like crack a little bit and break apart. And it was just, they, they were just a little like. I guess like the the ink had kind of fused at the at the edges of the pages or something. Well, why are your pages stuck together, Ben? Really <laughs> is my question. I don't know. I mean, these were sent from Amazon, so maybe somebody in uh, at Amazon jacked off to the scene of <laughs> Carrick and Bashir having lunch together, which I wouldn't blame any for anyone for doing that. That's not what I'm reading. Their employees are putting into bottles. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
I felt like a real dope and I like basically had to like start the comic over because it was like so annoying to me reading it through the first time that this that it had just started this way that wow. uh I uh, I basically had to start start back from one and read through it again and and then like oh yeah that like these scenes do make sense in the order that they are told so uh so I am my own Edward Larkin for for this episode of the greatest discovery how about you I gotta say it's Worf for me, just because I couldn't. What is he doing? What is he? What is he doing? Inserting himself into this investigation? What is he doing? <laughs> getting into fights with Nosikins? Yeah. Does is he just spoiling for a fight because he's bored? I don't know. I, I he just kind of uh, bursts onto the scene. Yeah. In a way that uh, that that in retrospect feels very Worf like. His temper really boils over early and often in this. Like, If Worf had this kind of temper on the show, he would not be fit for duty. <laughs> yeah. He is uh, he's really short-tempered. Um, like, like Odo kind of uh, warns the, the Nausikans, like, no vigilante justice allowed, Nausikans. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's Worf who's, like, especially into that in his yeah. own right, I think. Yeah. Odo should uh, should club Worf with a big, <laughs> big hand. Yeah, Worf should talk to Odo's hand. So next uh, next time on Greatest Discovery, we are going to pick up uh, this comic where we left off. Our thanks to Felipe for sending it to us. I imagine you can uh, buy this at your local comic shop or find it on Comicsology if you're uh, looking to read along with us. Yeah, that's that's next week, and I suppose we'll leave it with Robs, 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 Robs from here. Thanks, Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison, and produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Check out his YouTube page, and you can find your next recipe. Find out more about Felipe's comics by heading to felipesobriero.com. That link is in the show notes. Hey, if you're looking to discover more Trek, go follow all of our social programs or our Twitch channel under the handles Greatest Trek. The Twitter account and the Instagram are run by the great Bill Tilly. Thank you, Bill. Keep making those fun cards. If you'd like to support the podcast, make sure you head to MaximumFun.org slash join and tick the boxes for the greatest discovery in the greatest generation when you sign up. There's lots of fun bonus content. You can also leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which costs absolutely nothing. Want to find other friends of DeSoto to chat with? There's Facebook groups, there's a subreddit, and there's a Discord at DrunkShermoda.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.